Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. And if you have it, I'll read it, if you could just follow along. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may keep boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, we want to thank you for today. I pray that as we go through this word, that you would open up our hearts that you would open up our minds and that you would really speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me, that even in this broken and sinful vessel, Lord, that your words would come perfect out and that they would touch us at the exact right moment and personal place that we need to be uh, really spoken into. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, Today's uh, sermon is called The Cross. Now, for us, we are officially uh, at the end of Galatians. You know, I was looking back and I saw that we started uh, our Galatians series uh, in the beginning of, uh, or in the end of January. So we've been going through this book for about five months about, and so it's been a blessing to go through 2020 uh, with you guys this way. And what we know is that at the end of a letter, at the end of a paper or an essay, what the writer usually does is rewrite his most important point, right? That's the conclusion. And Paul, you see, he does this here in verse 14, because he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is saying, look, this is the one thing that I want you to remember. This is the one thing that I want you to focus on, and it's the cross. If there's nothing else, I want you to just focus on this one thing because this is my main conclusion. It is that I boast in nothing except in the cross. Paul is saying that there is nothing more important in history and in our lives than the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, crucifixion, it was created and designed by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. It was a perfect form of torture and of humiliation because what they would do is that the Romans would crucify people along the street, along the public highway, and they would crucify them completely naked. And so these people would be slowly dying of torture, and they would see men, women, and children just walking by them. You see, the cross was a diabolical device. It was a torture thing that was used to destroy and hurt criminals. And yet today, we see crosses hanging in almost all churches. People, we know, wear it as jewelry. Because it is, for a lot of us, and this culture is considered beautiful, right? I I would be hard-pressed to see any other torture device 
that had this type of turnaround. You know, I don't think we can ever go to Tiffany's and pick out a mini guillotine necklace as an anniversary gift. I don't think that's ever going to happen. The cross, you see, has turned from something horrendous to something beautiful. And I think that is a wonderful thing. And I think that's the story of the gospel. Because it was considered the worst of the worst. And yet, this symbol that was considered torture and terrible and pain and death, it turned into the ultimate symbol of love, of joy, of patience, and of eternal life. You see, Paul is ending this letter to his broken church in this one way, that there is nothing more important than understanding the cross, and there will be nothing more important that will define your life than this belief. And so what we want to do today is something simple. Just look at three things that Paul says about the cross. First is the importance of the cross. Second is the difficulty of the cross. And third is the boast of the cross. First is the importance. Verse 14 says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, far be it from me, is actually much stronger in the Greek. It's actually not, you, you can't really translate it in the Greek because it's just so far negative. Because what Paul is trying to say is that there is nothing that even comes close to the importance that Jesus Christ died for you. He's saying that there is nothing in this world that comes even a, a, a tiny bit within the same atmosphere as the belief that Jesus Christ has died for you. And this includes everything that you could possibly do. Because a lot of us, what we end up doing is we focus so much not on who Jesus Christ is, but on what he taught. And that's okay. That's a good thing to to focus on those things. But when it becomes your priority, then that's wrong. Because the priority needs to be on your belief. Not upon what Jesus simply taught. Because those things we realize only come in the aftermath. Because what is most important is what Jesus did for you. And what he teaches only comes after. Church, this is difficult for us because what the world tells us is it's not what you believe, it's how you live. And that's why there's so many people who you can talk to and say, look, I think that Jesus is a wise teacher. You may think that he's a God. You may not have an opinion about him. But at the end of the day, what matters is just simply how you live. Because as long as we live a good and righteous life, then we'll both be fine. But Paul is saying that there is nothing that comes close to the importance in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that includes how you should live. Look, Jesus, he's the one who taught us how to be ethical. He taught us how to be moral. He gave us the Ten Commandments. Do not murder Do not do this. Do not do that. He gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Be the light. Be the salt. Be this. Be that. And those are good things, but those things should not come first. The first is to understand what Jesus Christ did for you. That he came to earth. 
that he lived a perfect life, that he died the death that you and I should have died. And yet we focus so much on doing things, and that we focus so much on trying to live a certain way, that we focus all of our energy on doing rather than believing. Look, the center of your lives, Paul is saying, should not be on living an ethical life. It should be on what Jesus did for you. And this is the danger that I've actually seen in a lot of modern churches. Because the center of these churches are based so much only on his teachings and so far away from what he has already done that they've moved away from what Paul is trying to say is the most important thing. And so you see churches these days that are so focused on social justice, on political reform, that they've completely forgotten the essence of the gospel. And it's what did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus do for me? Look, what I'm saying is not that social justice is wrong. I'm not saying that political reform is wrong. But I'm saying, what is the main priority? What is the main definition of a Christian? It's not upon what you act. It's not upon what you do. It's what you believe. It's always going to start from the inner change, and that will, that will lead to external action. Look, and at the end of the day, look, if, if you inside are not changed, and you just simply try to do the work from the outside, that will not lead to the right heart. That will lead to no spiritual transformation. I talked about this a bit on the daily Bible thoughts. That's my little plug for that. But the, but the Persians and the Greeks, they would fight terrible wars against each other. And the Persians would almost nine times out of ten always outflank and outrank and outnumber the Greeks. And the most famous example of this was portrayed in the movie 300. Um, it's a 2006 movie, a great movie. But when they were outnumbered, the Greeks would almost always win, though. Isn't that strange? Why would that be? Because, you see, the Greek soldiers, they knew that they were free men. And the reason that they were fighting was because they loved their general, they loved their country. And you see, for the Persians, those soldiers, they were all enslaved. And so they were fighting because they were forced to fight. And so even though the actions were the same, it's meaningless. It's the motivation of your heart. If you are a Christian, what you believe has to come first. If your actions are right and your beliefs are wrong, then there's no meaning. It's why God would always say again and again that obedience is better than sacrifice. That you can sacrifice as much as you possibly can. But if there's no inner change within your heart, if you don't personally believe it, if you're not personally convicted by it, if you don't personally get hit by the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, then what's the point? See, doing good things isn't what separates Christianity from everything else. Everywhere it does good things. Believing in the work of Jesus Christ is what separates Christians 
from the world. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. And the book of John, when you look through it, for chapters 1 through 11 is the life of Jesus leading up to his death, that first half. And chapters 12 to 21, you see, are about his death. Isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting how half of Jesus' biography is about the cross? Now, why did John write it like this? You see, at the end of the book of John, he says, he writes this one thing, he says, look, I could have tried to write down all that Jesus has done, but it would, fill, it would probably fill all the books of the entire world. So this is all that I wrote here. And so we can get frustrated at that, saying, why can't you have written down something else? Well, is this really what all that you should have written down? And yet the, the answer is yes. Because for John, he was able to see what was most important. And for John, what was most important was the death of Jesus Christ. It's why out of all the things that he could have written, out of filling all the books of all the world, that he would do 25 chapters. And within those 25 chapters, half of it would be focused upon the cross. You see, the most important thing is the cross. But just because it's important doesn't mean that it's easy to believe. Because Paul, he says here, uh, he speaks about the difficulty of believing the cross. Verse 12, it says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, if you believe in the true definition of the cross, if this is truly the center point of your life, if you truly understand what the Bible is trying to say about, here, uh, saying about the cross here, then Paul is saying that you will be persecuted for that. And the reason is simple. is because the cross shows that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. For us, we love ranking ourselves in importance. We love ranking ourselves in our spiritual beliefs. But under the cross, it says that we are all same, we are all sinners, and we are all meant to die. You know, when I was younger, this was really difficult for me to accept. Because it meant that I was on the same page as the guy who missed church because he overslept. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. It meant that I was on the same page as that girl who kept on gossiping and just tearing down relationships and forcing people to leave the church. Mm Mm-mm. That's not me. The cross tells us, though, that we are no better than each other. That under the vision, under the sight of God, that we are all sinners. And that no matter how hard we work, we cannot work hard enough to gain our salvation. See, church, the cross, when you truly believe it, is offensive. It's offensive to our generation because it is seemingly so intolerant. The cross says that the only way that you can be saved is if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, period. It's offensive because in a world that loves being in the gray, it is so clearly black and white. 
there is not many ways that you can interpret where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You can't. I've seen different translations. I've looked at the Greek. I've looked at different things. You can't interpret that verse in any other way than right here what Jesus is trying to say. There's no wiggle room in interpretations. It's either him or it's nothing. This is how black and white the cross is. And when you believe in this, when you believe in the cross, man, do you see how it can't help but lead to persecution because you are living in a world of gray. Look, the cross is either going to define your life or it's going to be nothing. The cross is going to either be the greatest thing in your life or it's going to be the most repulsive thing in your life. And church, I would argue that if it is neither of those things, that maybe you don't have a full understanding of the cross itself. See, Paul says that if you believe what Jesus has done for you, then you will have confidence in all that you do, that you will boast in him alone. Verse 14, I'm going to read to you one more time. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I don't know if you've thought this, but uh, do you, I, I've had trouble understanding before what Paul meant when he said boasting uh, in the cross. And so as I was kind of looking through and researching, especially for this part here, I came across something kind of interesting. Because you see, back then, uh, boasting, it was actually a part of warfare. Before every battle, you see, they would have something called a ritual boast. And this would be when the general would come to the front lines and he would prepare the soldiers for battle. Because what we knew back then is that the soldiers, especially in the front, when they rushed in, 99% of the time they would die. And maybe 1% of the time they would just get maimed. And so these soldiers on the front, they weren't dumb. They knew what they were going into. They knew that they were probably going to die. And so the most important thing the general could do right at that time was come to them and to make sure the soldiers knew why they were going to die. The most important thing the general could do was come to the soldiers and say, look, this is why you're doing this. This is what you're about. This is why we're heading forward. This is why we're in battle. This is the center of who you are. This is the center of our nation. And this is why we're risking our lives and sacrificing everything for us. So let's go and let's charge and let's fight. This is the boast that the general would tell his soldiers. And so when the soldiers went forward, when they rushed in, they would rush in with reckless abandon because they would be so bought in. They would be so bought in to what would be happening. Their center would be set right. They would, their priorities would be set in the center. You know, in that, in that famous movie Braveheart, 1995, Mel Gibson, great movie, William Wallace, he leads the Scottish army against a much bigger English one. They were fighting for independent Scotland. 
where you see when you're on the front lines and you're facing an English army that's much bigger, that has much more advanced uh, weapons, that is much more organized than you, then you can't help but have all those thoughts just fly out of you. And so William Wallace goes to the front and he gives a boast. And in that boast, he says that famous line, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. You see, his goal in his boast to reorient them in that one main idea of freedom. Freedom for Scotland. Freedom for Scotland. Freedom for Scotland. Look, in battle, the reason for the boast is to reorient the soldiers. And you see, everyone has to boast in something. There's always going to be something that your life centers around. In Jeremiah 9, God, he says this, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they know and understand me. Church, what Paul is saying here and what God is saying as well is that your boast is your identity. What do you look to that validates you? What do you look to that strengthens you? What do you look to that gives you confidence that when you see something coming towards you, that when you know that you are in the desert, that when you know you are facing the enemy, when you know that Goliath is in front of you, what is that one thing that gives you strength? Church, what do you boast in? Everyone has to boast in something. You see, Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, he says that when things are bad and when we're facing an enemy, we instinctively point to something that is our confidence. We'll say, uh, well, I'm, I'm a good father. Or, I'm a good mother. Or, uh, at least I'm doing this well. At least I have this. And, and we draw our confidence from that. We draw our strength from that. We bring validation from that thing. And when Satan attacks us in whichever way, that's the way that we turn to when we boast. But he says that when we do that, we will always lose. Because in the Bible, it says that our works and our righteousness is like filthy rags in comparison to the holiness of God. That as much as we try to validate ourselves, as much as we try to work for our own salvation, as much as we say that we're a good person, it will never be in any comparison to the glory of God. For us, our works are like filthy rags in comparison all that God has done for us. The world will say to boast in yourself and in your accomplishments. Social media will say to boast in your appearance and in your wealth. All of these different things will try to boast upon the things that we can see now. But the Bible says to boast in Jesus Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Philippians 3.3 says, I put no confidence in the flesh, but only boast in Jesus Christ. When things are difficult, church, where do you draw your confidence? When the enemy is right along the horizon, what brings you validation? 
Because for Paul, there was nothing that could compare to the boast he had in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when this is your boast, Paul is saying here, look, it's only when you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only when your identity is in him. It's only when you truly believe that he has died for you, that you will be a new creation. Do you want spiritual transformation? That's the only way. Do you want your life to be changed inside out? That's the only way. Look, it's Jesus Christ or it's nothing. It's belief or it's nothing. It has to be that, church. And at the end of this letter, Paul says, No one caused me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Look, Paul here, he's saying something simple. He's just telling anyone who listens, he's telling the world, look, do your best. Do anything that you possibly can to me. You can throw me in prison. You can get me shipwrecked. You can give me diseases. You can do absolutely anything, no matter how great the enemy is, no matter how big the giant is, I will charge ahead, for I bear the marks of Jesus. You see, there are two types of people back then who would have marks on them or who would be branded. The first type of person are the slaves because they would be marked by their slave, by, by their masters to say who owned them. It was a way to show who owned the slave. Now the other people who would get branded were the soldiers because these soldiers not all of them, but many of them would brand themselves with the name of their general in token of their absolute devotion to that cause. They were marked to show that they would fight, not only fight, but die for what they believed in. They were marked. It didn't matter how terrible the enemy was, they would fight. It didn't matter how outnumbered they were, they were confident. It didn't matter how terrible the odds were against them, they had strength because their boast and their mark was in the general. And what Paul is saying is, look, my mark and my boast is in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why there is nothing in this life, there is nothing in this world that will ever give me true fear. There is nothing here that will ever give me true impatience and, and true anxiety and true anything like that. Because I know that I have complete confidence and strength in Jesus Christ alone. You see, my identity is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so church, that's my question to you as we end our series on Galatians, as we have gone through all of these different steps and all of these different things about knowing and understanding who Jesus is. Is this your answer as well? Are you marked by Jesus Christ? Is your boast in Jesus Christ alone? I want you to spend a few minutes now just to really pray that over yourself, to really know within the bottom of your heart, is this true for you? Because if it is, it will define your life. It will give you so much freedom. But if it isn't yet, look, I just, want you, I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to spend this time to pray and seek the Lord.
Let's pray.